Just before we get into this podcast, just a quick note from Henry and I. We absolutely love hosting the Badminton Podcast, but whilst juggling full-time jobs and bearing the costs of the editing so that we can bring you higher quality episodes and regular episodes, we would love your support. And you can support us through our Patreon account where you can pledge just a little bit per month that's just going to help the Badminton Podcast keep running regularly and to keep serving your badminton needs. So, when you can, please log on to www.patreon.com slash the badminton podcast, no spaces, and pledge a small amount. It's just really going to help us to keep this podcast going. Thanks a lot. Brought to you from Melbourne, Australia, this is the Badminton Podcast, a community for badminton players by badminton players where we talk badminton, celebrate local heroes, interview players from all walks of life, and push you to grow as a player and a person. Introducing your hosts, Jeff and Henry. Welcome to the Badminton Podcast. I'm Jeff. And I'm Henry. And we're the co-founders of Volantware, and we're here because we love badminton. Thanks for joining us. We're so excited to be here with the next episode of our podcast. Today, I'd like to introduce you to Salia Gunaratna. He has been a part of badminton in Australia as both a player and a coach over the last 15 years. He was a member of the Australian national team. In 2010, he was the winner of the men's doubles at the Australian National Championships and competed at the World Championships as well. He now lives in Singapore with his wife and their little dog, Charlie, where he's on secondment as a senior manager in a big four accounting firm where he has worked for the past eight years. Thank you so much for coming onto the podcast, Salia. Thanks for having me, guys. How's the weather over there? Actually, t- today has been a bit of a hazy day, but the warm weather does keep us keep us happy. The beach is around, so it's, it's quite nice here. You don't mind that weather, do you? I, I struggle with the humid weather. Yeah, some days you do, but it's good. It's been hazy, though, because of the fires in Indonesia. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. The haze hasn't been that great over the last couple of days or so. And Charlie's been struggling, a bit of sneezing. All right, Sally, moving on to badminton, which is the main topic here. When did you start playing badminton and how did you get started? Yeah, so I actually started playing when I was a little bit younger uh, in Sri Lanka. Never really... You know, made, made much progress. Um, I used to swim as well, so um, I was doing both of them at the same time. But then um, once the family moved to Australia, it, again, it was a bit of a struggle to find a place to play badminton. But eventually we did find um, a, a spot to play badminton. And since then, you know, I've been playing, I think I was about 13 or 14 when I started properly playing um, in, in Victoria. And, and since then, haven't stopped and played all the you know junior tournaments and, and went from there. Cool. And what do you love about playing? Because you've played it for how many years now? So about f- over 15 years now. Yeah, that's right. Um, I don't know. I think there's a few things. You get to travel. You get to travel with your really close friends. So whether it's, you know, back in the day in the junior tournaments, playing the national tournaments, you, you, you just play and, and hang out with your friends, which is always a, a good feeling and, and, and you enjoy the time. I think the next thing is it's just, you know, it builds a little bit of competitiveness and I do enjoy that camaraderie with your friends but then also being competitive at the same time and and enjoying the time 
while being competitive as well as making friends. So I think I think that was quite quite an important aspect of why I started playing and why I continue to play badminton. So after you stopped playing more competitively and you kind of tuned down from the training, I know that you went into coaching. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, certainly. So I enjoy always being a part of the, the badminton community in, in, in any way. And one of my old coaches, she asked me if I was interested in helping her with the same club that I used to play as a junior. So, you know, I took the opportunity because, um, one, because I wanted to really be continue to be involved in badminton in some way and give back and secondly give back my knowledge to, to the juniors that are coming up in, in you know in Victoria. Salia, from what I understand from coaching and after having a chat to some coaches on our podcast here, a lot of coaching is definitely imparting your knowledge and experience as a badminton player to other players. But a lot of it from what I've heard is is also getting a better understanding of yourself as a coach and, and a person. So is there anything that you learned particularly as when you were actually doing this coaching? Yeah, no, that's actually a really good question. So one of the common questions that I get asked at work when I was coaching was, oh, why, why do you still coach and is it, is it hard or, or how, how do you find it? And the answer I have actually constantly given or consistently given is that it's actually the hardest thing I've, I've had to do because and it's harder than mentally harder than work. Um, even though I, I work, you know, slightly long hours, the, the challenge is that you just need to be patient. So I was teaching kids from, you know, four years old, five years old, all the way up to the under 19 level. But the training or, or coaching the junior, very young beginners is actually quite tough because you, you need to make sure that you're patient with them and really teach them the teach them in a way that it grounds them to be better moving forward. So quite an important aspect of them starting to play badminton so I think that was quite tough and it's probably one of the most challenging things I've done but also really enjoyed it because it did improve my patience and, and it does help my patients sort of um, at work as well as just at family life as well. And Sally not only patience it's also about keeping them engaged I've had some experience in coaching that kind of age group as well the really young kids and of course, you're trying to get them to use the right technique and do everything that you say. But most of all, you need to keep them engaged so that they keep enjoying playing badminton and they keep coming back. And I found that quite challenging as well. Yeah, absolutely. It's all it's you got to you have to make it fun, fun with with a with the aspect of you know getting the technicality to them in in a way. But fun is very important to keep them engaging. I can imagine that'd be incredibly difficult with children of that age, Thalia. So out of all the things you've done in badminton as a player and as a coach, what would you say is the most memorable or the most special moment in your badminton career? I think I'll probably look back at, at when I was a player and a few of the things that I have been able to do is obviously I was able to compete at the Australian National Championship and I was able to successfully win uh, the doubles. That same year, actually, I, I was also able to go and compete at the World Championships and that experience of just going to the world championships, being in that stadium, seeing the legends of the game and the, the, the guys that are in the top 10 playing at the, at the tournament was, was just unbelievable. And I think that, that would probably have to be one of the top highlights of, of what I've done in badminton. And Salia, from my understanding is that you've also spent some time playing with my co-host Jeff. So how was, how was playing with Jeff as well? Can you tell me a bit about that, your experience when you were playing with him? 
Yeah, I mean, um, I've known Jeff for a long time. Um, we played as juniors. We played against each other. We played doubles together. Um, and then we also trained at the national team and, and, and traveled a little bit as well. From a playing as a, as a doubles partner perspective, I think um, he was always the one that was um, carrying the carrying the doubles team. Um, as as a junior, as a junior, if I was playing well, then then we'd have a have a good day. But if I wasn't, then he'd have to carry us, and we may we may get over the line, or otherwise we may not. But those junior days when we used to play some of the state and national tournaments was was a lot of fun. And then you know going to the national team. We uh, we actually lived together for a summer and we trained. We traveled into training from our place every morning, basically. And then it was during the summer holidays, so we, we were also able to relax at the same time and, and enjoy ourselves. And then we actually went to New Zealand after that for, for the Oceania Championships. And, and that was a lot of fun as well. And, and then Jeff did quite well there as well at that tournament. Yeah, no, it was good memories. I do remember all those memories, Salah. And getting up those early mornings because you used to live so far away from the training center and dealing with traffic and everything like that. So definitely remember that. Salia, let's move on to the main topic of today's episode. Now, whenever someone asks me, hey, what does Salia do? I'm always very proud as one of your good friends to say what you do because I know that you've come a really long way from when you first started. So could you share with us and for all the listeners what your pathway looked like from when you were a university student studying commerce to where you are today as a senior manager at a big four accounting firm? It's been quite a journey. If I take the journey from start to where I am now, I think the one of the main things that got me to where I am and, and got me a role where I'm working at the moment was the internship. You know, the summer internship programs at, at the big four accounting firms are quite key and amazing starting point for anyone that wants to be in this area. So I recommend looking at those opportunities and making sure you're ahead of sort of timing wise and, you know, ready for application processing and whatnot that you need to do in order to get, get into the tra- internship program. It's not just the internship program. I have a lot of colleagues that have done what's called a traineeship or a one year sort of cadetship so depending on the university you were at you're able to do a a two-year traineeship or a one-year cadetship as well before you finish university so that's also a a good pathway to join one of the firms as well so after the internship um, which I did at the firm I started as a grad a, a year or so afterwards I did take a little bit of time before I started the grad program purely because I was playing badminton and I want a little bit of time before I started work to try and excel and, and do as much as I could as a, as a player. But once I started, I worked through different roles, different clients, different industries, and really got a breadth of experience in, in the first two or three years that I worked at the firm, which gave me a little bit more of a overall picture of what I could do within the firm. And I think that was a good opportunity and I encourage people that think about either going into an industry or going into a specific area Perhaps not to do that and, and try and see if you can you know, get a little bit more breadth of experience around numerous industries and, and, and business areas. I think if I, if I think about you know, where I am now, what I've done to get myself to be at the place I'm now and also what opportunities I have been given and I've seeked while I was at the, at the firm, I think there's a few key things that I can think of. One, I was open to really take the opportunity to go and work overseas. 
So I did work overseas in New York for three months, which was a really good opportunity because it basically enhanced the knowledge that I've been gaining while working in Melbourne, purely because it's a different and a bigger market in New York. So it basically enhanced the knowledge I had. And then I was able to bring that back home when I, when I came back after that's a comment. And I was able to pass on that knowledge to my other colleagues and, and of course, enhance the work that we were doing as, as a group. And then secondly, I think it's just more being open to the fact that in any of those firms, and in particular the firm that I'm working in, that there's so much opportunity, so much things to do in terms of work. So there are so many different divisions to work in. It's a place where you can do so many different things. And a lot of the time, new starters or people that are, you know, going to senior associate level or manager level are quite, I feel, um, think about it in a one-dimensional way in the sense of what you're doing right now is, is what you can do if you were to continue on with the firm. So my encouragement and, and what I would like to tell everyone is that it's not just that. You have the opportunity to try different things, travel overseas. And, you know, that led me to be here in Singapore. It was an opportunity that I wanted to take both personally as well as from a career perspective. So I do encourage people to really think about not just thinking one dimensionally, that's all you would be doing if you're at one of these firms. You do have a larger variety and opportunities, industries or, or whatever else you want to do to be able to do that. So Salia, it sounds like having an open mind mm-hmm. and grasping opportunities that come your way has really led you to where you are in the big four firm that you are at now. But I want to take a step back and just ask you, if you were to take this pathway again, is there anything that you would change or do over again? It's always a hard question, right? So you always think about what you could do better or what you could have done differently. I have also gone through times where I've been uncertain about what I wanted to do with work or what I wanted to do with my career. And that's a very normal thing for anyone working anywhere in corporate or elsewhere. Um, that you would go through those emotions of you know uncertainty about what you want to do in the future. I think ultimately the main thing or, or something that you just really need to think about is what do you want to do and what really drives you as a person or what really is something that you could actually do. So even during those uncertain times, I think personally I would have taken a step back to understand, okay, what do I want to achieve? What is my long-term objective? Those kind of thought processes really did help me in terms of where I am now. But I think there are instances where there's a bit more prolonged uncertainty or, you know, thought process not being finalized from my side. So I think a few of those things I I would probably change. I think the uncertainty or the time lag of being uncertain was probably something that I, that I had for a little bit too longer than I, than I would have probably preferred it. So Salia, just with what you're talking about, did you feel that you took too long to make your decisions? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, I think so. It could be because, you know, I wanted to obviously make the right choice, but then it could also have been that I could have, you know, I could be a little bit more assertive in in that choice that I would have made. But I think ultimately I wanted to make sure that I made the right choice for both myself and and my family. And, And ultimately it took a little bit longer than I probably would have really wanted to, but that's probably the only thing that I would change. So it sounds like the bit of a fine line between taking too long, but also making sure you make the right decision as well. Yeah, that's right. So I know before, Salia, you said that when you started working and you were progressing in your career, that being open to new things and being receptive to those things was really important in your progression and making it to where you are now. 
Is there anything else that you felt that you did differently to say some of your colleagues that, that made you stand out from the rest? And is there something that you could encourage other people to do as well? Yeah, certainly. I think once you sort of get to a point in time where you've got that, you know, breadth of experience across industries, you, you do need to make a choice as to what you want to do in the firm that I'm working on in general in, in the big four firms. You do need to make a, a choice as to what you want your brand to be or what you want to specialize in. So I think it's always important that you, you know that and you basically become good at that. So that's something that will differentiate you, What you know, whatever you do. So I think that's a key point. To think about but it's not something that you think about as a grad senior associate and even you know even going through from a manager perspective that's when you really think about you know what what your brand should be and what you want to really focus on but at the start as i mentioned you, you just need to make sure you get the breadth of knowledge across the across the board so how do you think someone in the audience would identify what their brand is besides obviously getting a breadth of experience in various industries at any accounting firm what do you think are some of the things that a listener could do to try and identify what their brand or what their specialty would be? I think once you get that experience across the board, you really need to go down the path where you're really passionate about something. So if you're passionate about something, I think that's what you really need to make sure, you know, that's going to be your brand. Because if you're not passionate about what you want to create as being, you know, your specialization or your, your brand, it's not going to happen, right? So so if you're passionate about it, you're interested in it, you, you want to explore further in, in that field, then, then that's the, I think that's the way forward. And, and that's what I would encourage everyone to think about a, an area of specialization. So for someone who's not really sure, so for example, let's just say I was working there and I did lots of work in different areas and tried things out. Are firms like this quite supportive of employees who want to try different roles? And if they find, hey, this really isn't for me, is it usually quite supportive in that they're happy for them to move to a different area? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's always something that we encourage people to do. It's not just in, in, in the work. It's actually, you know, whatever you want to do, whether it's someone wanting to pursue a career in, in badminton, you started working and you wanted to play badminton, um, or compete again in badminton or, or compete in any other sport at a, at a high level. The firms always encourage that type of challenging yourself and, and doing something different. It's always something that the firm would encourage. Salia, it seems like there's no specific roadmap to take because when you're part of this big four accounting firm, like you've described, it seems that a successful candidate or, or someone that has gotten to your level has had to be quite open-minded and grasp opportunities as they come. But if someone was listening and actually wanted to create a, basically a, a roadmap or a template um, and even a timeline of getting into a big four firm and, and potentially getting to your kind of position, what kind of template or mar- of milestones and timelines would you suggest to them starting from university? It's hard to, yeah, as you mentioned, everyone's path is going to be different. I think the only thing that I could suggest is obviously, you know, know your timelines in terms of internships. I think that's always a good way to make sure that you get yourself into a firm like this. Once you're in the firm and once you start as a grad, I think that the main thing that I would encourage is to have an open mind and really make sure you drive your own personal development, you know, in in the way that you want your career to progress. I think take ownership of your own personal development. And I think once you've done that, it will create a part that would allow you to succeed. There's going to be obviously hard work and long hours, but 
that's a part of the the success and and learning that you're gonna get while you're in a firm like this. Sally, in terms of a timeline or even your timeline, what did that look like? So you graduated from university. How long was your internship for? And then how long was the grad program? And then each of the steps of the ladder that you climbed, how long were you in each role? And how does that differ to say a standard will be? Just for someone who has never been in corporate, doesn't know how long it takes to get to where you are, just for a bit of perspective. Yeah, certainly. I think internship is is just a summer program. So that's, I just did the summer program, which is over over two month program. And then as a grad, you're generally there for about maybe as a grad or it's basically as an accountant, you're there for about two to two and a half years. So you become a graduate accountant to an experienced accountant. And then the next level up or the next main level up is a senior accountant level, which is maybe two and a half to three years down the track. And then you'll be in that, that sort of level for about two to two and a half years again. And I've, I followed a similar pathway. And then from there, you become a manager, you know, which is in the, the five plus range. And then once you make manager, I think, I think that's, that's probably one of the biggest milestones in the big four firms. And, and progressing from there can, can vary considerably. Because you, as you do move up to the senior roles, the progression time would extend a little bit more or it could be, you know, as quick as your previous progressions. But it really depends on the individual and, and the opportunities that are given and the opportunities taken while you're in those levels. For me, it was, a, it was about three years from manager, manager to senior manager. And Sally, for you, what's the next step? What are you looking to get towards after senior manager? Is there a step that you'd like to get to? Yeah, I mean, I mean, one of the main steps that you look to strive to is the partner level, right? So it is still a little bit of time away, but that's obviously something that everyone that progresses through these you know, ranks in, in, in a firm like this would want to get to. For me, I think it's really, while I'm in Singapore, it's very much about getting the experience that I want to get and take back when I do come home and for me to progress further I think I just need to make sure that I build the knowledge of I'm trying to gain while I'm here. So Sally just to recap for someone who doesn't know much about the structure and the progression so you're a commerce student at university you apply for the internship and then if you get into that your internship is a couple of months during summer and then from there you get to the next role which is a graduate accountant is that correct yes that's right and you're there usually for about two two and a half years before you become a senior accountant or a senior associate role um, which will be about the same amount of time and then uh, you progress to the manager role from there timing wise is is not really structured or it's it's harder to determine and, and it could take somewhere between two to four years to be a senior manager following that but it, it does vary um, considerably Sure. And just as a general rule, will everyone be expected to do their CA? Yes, you would do your CA or a CPA if you're in Australia. So Salia, now you've been on secondment in New York and you're currently in Singapore. For someone like you who's been given the opportunity to go on a secondment, how does someone get the most out of it? And how, how have you tried to get the most out of the secondment? Yeah, I think there's there's probably two things that I've thought of and, and maybe I've, I've done while I'm on secondment. The first thing is just being open, um, open to the opportunity that you're given, but also open to the culture and, and people that you're going to be working with. So it's more trying to get to know them personally, trying to get to know their culture. So that and, and you need to really embrace the culture and embrace the people that you work with because 
getting to know and, and actually embracing that there's a difference. You, you just need to make sure that you go out and network with a lot of people because you're in a new environment. It's quite different. Making friends and, and networking is a little bit more challenging. So, so it is something that I, I think is quite important when you go overseas and, and go on to comment. Yeah, I think someone who's listening would get a lot of information and knowledge from what you've discussed today, Salia. And personally, I have because I don't really know the corporate structure that well personally. So, Salia, you've provided a few very crucial pieces of information for our listeners today. And for those listeners who are actually really interested in going down this pathway, I'd like to know what kind of advice you can give to them to help develop their action plan. Are there three take-home pieces of advice or actions that you'd recommend for someone listening that they can do just right away? Yeah, sure. So I think um, if you're a new starter or if you're still at university, I think it's important you know the timelines of when the grad programs and application opening times are for grad programs as well as internships, depending on which angle you want to take. The second thing is know which area you want to start in. So whether it's consulting, audit, corporate advisor, or whatever area within the firms would interest you at this point in time. But know that you know you don't have to be in that area. It's easy to move around. So I think just be open to to the opportunity to be moving around within the firm as well. And I think thirdly, it's linked to my second point, but I think it's important that you don't think one dimensionally and, and that you, what you're doing is all that is there's so many opportunities you, there's opportunities to travel there's opportunities to move within the firm it's quite large and, and, and diverse in, in what you can do so I think really be open-minded when it comes to what you can do within the firm so Salia with that I just want to say thanks so much for being on the badminton podcast thanks guys for having me it's been awesome chatting badminton and then what I'm doing now There have been so many invaluable takeaways from the conversation today we've had with you. And for me, the biggest takeaway that I took from our conversation with Salia today was making sure that we start on the right foot. What I I mean by that is making sure that you check the dates of the internship, when they're due and what you have to do for each firm, because some of the dates can be different. It's not uncommon to hear people say, oh, hey, I missed the deadline. I have to wait a whole year before I can apply again. So make sure that you really check early and get organized. What I found as a vital piece of information in this podcast was to not have a predefined pathway, certainly go in there with some form of plan in mind, but be open to opportunities that come your way as well, because there are a lot of different avenues that you can take when you join these kinds of environments that you can help develop new skills. So I think it's really important if you're a listener out there and that you want to join a big four accounting firm, go through the steps that Salia have outlined here that not to be fixated on each milestone, each step at a particular timeline, because there's going to be things that pull you in different directions. And that's going to give you a lot of opportunity to develop as a professional as well as a person. Well said, Henry. A lot better than my takeaway. But mine's still really important. He actually stole my takeaway. But that's all right. So for everyone listening, thanks so much for tuning into the Badminton Podcast. We'll continue to push you to grow as a person and as a player in your career, in your lives, by inviting special guests like Salia Gunaratna onto the podcast. Make sure that you keep playing badminton, make sure you keep loving it, and make sure you keep sharing your love for the sport 
with everyone you know because we want to show the world how incredible badminton is. Because it really is. And if you want to connect with us, you can connect with us on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube via our social media handle, Volantware, V-O-L-A-N-T-W-E-A-R, or on our website via www.volantware.com. Thanks for tuning in, and we will speak to another awesome guest next time. Bye. (laughs) This podcast was brought to you by Volantware, the most versatile badminton apparel you'll ever own.